LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Dean and Sarah. Why don't you say hello? Hey, it's good to be with you. Man, uh, first of all, I've always, I've never like been, we've known each other for a long time, uh, off and on different conferences around the same dinner table, breakfast table, or standing around having uh, fun conversations. So it's been a long time coming uh, for you to be on the podcast. I've always appreciated the things that you've written, um, mostly from a theological standpoint, but I was really pleasantly surprised when I uh, picked up your book, The Unsaved Christian, uh, Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel, just to see how practical it was in you know, showing you how to recognize cultural Christianity um, and, you know, how to talk to different types of people. So, man, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate that. And the book really was just my story of coming out of cultural Christianity and now being surrounded by it and just kind of how I approach ministry in that reality. So you are a writer. You're also a pastor of City Church in uh, Tallahassee, Florida. So tell us a little bit more about um, your context and, and how you got to where you are. It was City Church is a church that I planted with friends in my hometown. I grew up in Tallahassee and just had a passion to reach my friends. Uh, so we thought the local church was the best way to do that. So I started a church with about 20 people in my parents' living room, uh, just because their house was bigger than mine. And uh, we got together and just kind of thought what could be for our city. This was, again, about 12 years ago. Uh, so church planting in a lot of areas hadn't really become a thing yet. Uh, I say that we, we planted what I call PKE, which is pre-Kevin Ezell, uh, being president of the North American Mission Board. So uh, before there was a real strategy behind it and that type of thing, so we didn't know very much. We were very green, didn't have a lot of guidance to so we reach our city and got to work doing it. And then the Lord has been really good to us and allowed us to establish a strong congregation and mission here in our city and beyond. Okay, so talk to me about that. You're, you're 12 years in. Um... Okay, so at some point in time, for me, looking at what you're doing, you shifted from intuitive to intentional. That's that's a, a strategic shift I think most churches um, need to make or most successful churches had made and maybe have drifted from and need to shift back to. But when did you guys shift from intuitively just kind of doing this well? Because you said, hey, we were back in the day when there wasn't a strategy in place. Uh, and not that you necessarily, you know, just completely hook, line, and sinker took somebody else's strategy. But when would you say you shifted from intuitively figuring this out to more intentionally figuring this out? I think one of the big milestones for us that forced us, not even knowing that language and knowing we had to, just almost like a, okay, here we are. Now let's get it together kind of approach. I was when we started to see a shift from only college students to more multi-generational. And then it was, we just, you know, can't open the door and have good music and have a, have a sermon and call it a day and think we're doing a good job. Uh, we really have to think strategically about what is the church and what is the purpose of the church and what are we trying to accomplish and what's the goal for someone when they first walk in the door uh, for us to move them from just being a visitor to hopefully being fully involved in the life of the church, which might even include believing the gospel for the first time. Uh, we just didn't really think that way when we first started. It was, hey, we want to reach lost people. Let's go get them. That was kind of kind of the approach without any real sort of, I, I guess, foundation put under it and just kind of got by on uh, 
doing a worship service fairly well for our city at the time, and also just in relational, being connected to people. But as the church grows, the pastor can't know everybody personally. Oh, that's so good. So I want to go ahead and get into our questions. The very first question is this, who are you currently learning from? Right now, I really find myself learning from our staff here at City Church, because outside of my family, uh, they're the people I'm around the most, and they're having different ministry experiences than I am, kind of leading from the top for, I guess, lack of a better way to put it, or being the, the senior pastor. Uh, they get a chance to be in different conversations I might not be in. They get a chance to have a different perspective. Uh, a lot of them started in the ministry very green. They were kind of homegrown in our church, and they've learned along the way. So I, I just find most of my conversations right now about this church and leadership uh, that about following Jesus and about being on mission. Uh, they're really coming from them and they really sharpen me and they help me think about things more clearly. Uh, they help me gain a better perspective uh, outside of that. And I want to really encourage any, especially pastors that might be listening to this to, to really uh, take heart and committing to learning from your staff. It's not just their job to be learning from you. Like you can learn just, just really so much. A lot of them are younger than me you know, a decade plus younger than me. I need to hear from them. I need to learn from them. And I would say it's been really good for me and as well to keep me fresh and keep me excited about ministry and, and keep me hopefully thinking young. You can't stay young, but you can think young. Uh, so that's what I, I really try to do. I don't try to act young. That's immaturity. Uh, but I try to think young. Uh, and that's just really important for what we're trying to do, especially in a college town uh, like this here in Tallahassee. And then outside of that, uh, this is going to sound a little, maybe a little strange, but this is 2019 and how the world works. So the best learning I'm doing right now is from non-annoying group chats with pastor friends <laughs> where, you know, I got five or six guys on a group text and just throughout the day, people were just chiming in, asking questions, talking about different issues they're dealing with in their church or in life or in just society in general. And those just little nuggets throughout the day where it's kind of a safe space <laughs> where people can just say what they really think and no one's going to say anything and can be honest and ask questions and maybe even vent a little bit if they have to. I, it's been really helpful for me. I mean, I, it's almost become like a kind of a heartbeat for, for ministry for me is to have those people to depend on, like pastor friends uh, who are, you know, instant communication with me throughout the day. So how did that, how did that group kind of come together? How did that come about? Yeah, I got two main ones that I really do. I got little, little ones here and there. And of course you have like, I have like my college football group chats and all those types of things. But how this came about, just kind of like-minded friends uh, that originally just sort of had some questions to bounce off each other. Like, hey, guys, I'd love to get your opinion on this. And everyone already had each other's contacts say, hey, those are all mutual friends, that type of thing. And folks just started chiming in. And then that just became a kind of consistent conversation that kept going into other things where it started off as kind of a one-off, just, hey, guys, I had this question turned into basically a, a main database <laughs> for, for information. And that's kind of how, how it came about. And it's really, it can be fun too. Like we laugh about things all the way to like really serious conversations, correcting each other where maybe someone, someone might be wrong on something or helping somebody think through or, hey man, you're not getting this side of the story or this perspective. I really, again, it's not annoying. It's a non-annoying group text. I mean, yeah, if it gets going for a while and you don't have your phone with you in a restaurant or something like that, you might get back to the car or maybe pull out of your pocket and have 40 texts waiting for you. Uh, besides that occasional occurrence, it's really been a blessing for me. That is so fascinating. So, okay, I was going to ask, how do you, you know, are there rules or unwritten rules that follow? But it sounds like it really is, there's challenges that um, come up too. Like, 
you know, courage to confront issues, healthy conflict, not let me show you how much smarter than I am. Oh yeah. That would get uh, oh, that would yeah. shot down really quickly. <laughs> that took place. Uh, that would actually be anywhere from mocked to rebuked <laughs> somewhere in between. Yeah. It's, again, in one minute you might be talking about football, but a lot of times like, Hey guys, I need you to help me think through this. Or it could be anything from, have you read this book or, um, what, this something about culture, about all the things we're talking about right now in society. Just really thinking through those things in a way where you could never unpack that on Twitter or anywhere else because the nuance isn't allowed. You get eaten alive just for asking a question. Right. This just allows that to happen. And there's the benefit of the doubt given because we're all friends and trust and know each other. You know, I think that's one of the things that pastors need more than anything um, is that healthy space for something like that to occur because, you know, if you look at the number of people facing burnout or they don't feel like they have a safe place to have a conversation or at least that kind of conversation, um, you know, the, you're really alone. And it is a lonely, often the pastor, it is a lonely job. And there's a lot of people that aren't pastors that listen to the podcast and are, um, in business, and I th- I'm sure they would say, well, it's the same for us too. Uh, so I, I just really want to encourage people that are listening to this podcast to find that safe place, that safe group of people, even if it's a small group of people. Um, and actually, it's better if it's a small, smaller group of people that you can have that free flow with because what you described is life. It's how we interact with some of our best friends. And, you know, a conversation can move from, Sports usually not with me, but a conversation with uh, with most normal people can move from sports to you know leadership to a theological question to you know well I don't know the the best restaurant or who has the best burger or whatever I mean that's life and that is a I think a a real sign of health when we can switch from one thing to the other it just means that we're known. And, and, you know, we know other people as well. So I just want to encourage anybody, if they're listening, that doesn't have that. We talk about, you know, being open enough to seek counseling when you need it. Well, this is at least seeking counsel uh, on a regular basis. And if you do that now, you may not end up with a counselor down the road. All right. That was my diatribe for the moment. I'm going to ask you another question. Um, so... What emphasis do you have with your team right now? The, the two things that we're, I'm really working on with myself uh, that then overflows with them. One is to, is to really be self-aware. I think that's such an important trait for a leader or for anyone in ministry. We call it having feel is what we call it here. Uh, like, hey, have some feel. And, and that's just really to, to just know your role in social situations it's not just a self-awareness looking in the mirror kind of thing of saying, where am I weak? I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about just kind of an emotional and social intelligence. Uh, two things I think are just really important and just kind of knowing where you're at when it comes to that. Like like when, what conversations to be in, what not, what to you know insert yourself into or remove yourself from. And then there is the mirror component where you go, okay, like a lot of the the things that I'm maybe upset about, is it a me problem, you know, or is it a you problem? Uh, you know, we just, uh, we were having a little bit of technical difficulties, Todd, when we first started this conversation, uh, we, uh, we said, Hey, is it your end or is it my end? You know, like what, right. uh, who, what's going on here? I think in that can really care. That's just obviously talking about tech, but 
when it comes to our lives, there's so much drama nowadays. Uh, people are very sensitive. Um, there's just really a lot of overreaction. Everything is a thing, people like to say. They're like everything today has to be a thing. And in that reality, I think self-awareness is really important. So I just want our staff to really be able to just have an understanding of themselves and how they function, when they've overreacted, when they haven't, if it's a them problem or actually a real problem. And then after that, in this role we're in where everybody is so busy and everybody's 100 miles an hour and might miss a post on Facebook or miss a message because they have them everywhere, we're really trying to figure out, starting with me, how do we just communicate better? I don't mean the skill of being a communicator or like a speaker. I mean, how do we just make sure that people know what's going on and that we over communicate on just the basic things of our office life and our church life and our family life, just everything. Like, how do we be good communicators? Because for most of us, when we find when there's a conflict on our staff or in our church, we probably did a bad job communicating somewhere down the line. Because I just learned that people just like to know. They just want to be informed. They want to know what's going on. And we're just on a you know constant, I guess, corrective course of how we can just communicate better. Especially when you have a young staff. A lot, a lot of us are, we communicate all the time via like our phones, but we're not very good at communicating messages, like real information. And it's easiest to think you did communicate when you actually didn't because life just goes so fast. So we're trying to, I know that, that's why it's like so basic, but you know, it's, it's easy in a leadership conversation to talk about, you know, we're trying to figure out where we are spiritually and where we are this and where we are that. And all those things are true, but really we're just trying to like, how do we be more self-aware people and how do we learn how to communicate better? If those two things are in place, then we're going to be organizationally pretty healthy. And that's what we're trying to focus on. How do you have that posture? How do you have a posture that is self-aware and emotionally aware, how can you test? Because everybody thinks that they are emotionally intelligent. Um, how does someone go about figuring out that in the real world? Well, I think you got to pull away sometimes and just chill for a minute and just not overreact to the latest thing that's happened and just take a breath sometimes. Sometimes it really is as simple as that, just taking a breath. But it goes further than that. I think it's that people that can, you can ask that question to. Like, am I, am I, am I self-aware here? Like, do I, do I, do I struggle there? Like, am, am I that guy? <laughs> you know, like when I'm not around, do people say that I'm that guy? <laughs> you know, is, it, is it one of those kind of things? Like, do I, do I take the life out of a room? Is everybody on edge around me all the time? Like, I want to know those things. And I think those are questions that we need to ask. If people are on edge around you all the time. I mean, that's a problem. That's a you problem. And eventually you have to say, okay, like, like, why is that? Why do people have to give 15 disclaimers whenever they tell me something? Why can't they just tell me? It's, it's like, like just look at social media. When someone, um, there's just no nuance lot anymore. So when someone has to, wants to state a point or an opinion, they give like four disclaimers first. And it's like, why, why can't you just say your opinion? <laughs> why, like, why, why is that to be that way? Well, one, because people just don't allow for real conversation anymore. But sometimes that's because of you, it's because of how you are. So I just want to know, if, am I the one contributing to that? If people are on edge around me, if you want to give disclaimers every time they talk to me, like, am I, is that, why is that? Am I, am I the one that's making that a thing when it doesn't need to be a thing? Is there a past history there or, or just a track record of that being a reality in a relationship with me? So I have a few people in my life that see me regularly that I just want to ask those questions to. Like, hey, is this a me thing? Am I leading poorly here? 
where they're not afraid to say, yeah, you kind of are, or just work on this or think about this. And then I think the posture, here's the, po- yes, the posture, here's the posture as simply as I know how to put it, is work hard at not taking yourself so seriously. Like, let's take God really seriously in the Bible, in our church, in the mission, but not ourselves. And, and, and if you have to, if someone has to ask for more definition around that, it means they just, they're probably never going to really get it. It's one of those things where certain, I think Craig Rochelle says there's an it factor. And if you don't know how to describe it, it's just it. Right. <laughs> and it's sort of like that. Well, when you don't take yourself seriously, the freedom you have to not freak out about everything, to not make everything a big deal, to not take everything personally, like it really, I'm telling you that freedom just really will give you more joy. I think it'll make you less, you know, cynical and critical. And when I struggle with those things, which my like kind of, I guess, inclination can be towards that. I usually it's because I'm just, I'm taking myself way too seriously. And, and that's, that's a big win when I'm not. That's good. That's good. Just a quick word from our sponsor for today and we'll get back into the episode. Do you ever feel like you don't know where to start with volunteer training? Or if you do, is it hard to get everyone in the same place at the same time? Well, Ministry Grid makes it simple to train every volunteer and leader in your church. With a library of over 3,500 videos and 800 courses, you'll find training for every ministry area and leadership level. From volunteers to leaders to ministry directors, Ministry Grid's scope and sequence of training makes it easy to know who needs what training. And here's the best news of all. For the month of August, you can get unlimited access to Ministry Grid for your entire church for just $399 a year. And every year after that, you're locked into that price. If you want to take advantage of this incredible deal, just go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to get unlimited training for $399. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the interview. Other than the spiritual disciplines, what is one or two things that you have to do every day in order to stay sharp as a leader? One thing I have to get out of the house. <laughs> I, I, and it's not because I don't love my family. I love being home with my family, but I just have to be out and about. So like, I, I just, I, I'm just one of those kind of people where I just cannot be cooped up anywhere all day. Like the thought of going like by ourselves, all of us to sit in a cabin in the top of the woods with no communication for a week, that gives me anxiety. <laughs> like that would that would lead me to mental health problems more than the actual peace and rest would prevent them. Uh, so I just ha- I, and again, and my family can go with me. We can all go along for the ride. I just kind of have to get out of the house, and, and I just have to be able to be out and about whatever city I'm in, not for hours or anything like that. I, I just really need to make a Starbucks run every day, or go to the bookstore, or, or make pop into a bookstore, pop in Chick Fil A, uh, and just kind of say hello to people and be around people and introduce my kids to people. Um, my, my wife, uh, not too long ago was out grocery shopping and she went and I, she sent me a text and said, I'm on the way home. And I sent her a text and said, we just run through the Starbucks drive through and grab me something on the way home. And she, please. And she said, sure. She got, she said she was, she, she said she had the highest, like the hardest eye roll of her life that she gave when she went to the drive through window and she gave my specific order that I get like my special order. And the person uh, taking the order, the Starbucks employees, they, they asked her, oh, is this for Dean? <laughs> and she said, oh, my gosh. How often do <laughs> you come here? And the reality is like they're almost every day uh, just to stop in and say hello and just be out and about and be around people. Like I, when I wrote my book, I wrote almost the entire thing at a coffee shop or at Chick-fil-A. 
I didn't read, I didn't write hardly any of it at my office. I, I just like to be out and like to be around and I want to focus better when I'm surrounded by people. And I've tried to I've raised my kids to be that way. It's funny. We'll get up in the morning and my one of my sons will say, what are we doing today? I'm like, you're going to school. That's what you're doing today. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just used to like us doing stuff and again, not in an overprogrammed, busy kind of way, just not in a homebody kind of way. So to answer your question, like one thing I just have to do every day is just get out. It's just kind of like, even like when we do like family beach trips and things like that. I'm like, hey, I'm running to wherever, you know, I'm going to pick up this or, or I'm going for a walk. I, I just got to get out and about and be around just as many people as possible. And the other thing I do is the exact opposite of that. When I first get home after a crazy day, and I'm thankful for the grace my wife gives me in this, because she's really phenomenal, is that when I get home, yeah, I say hey to the kids first and her and give them a hug and say hi. But I just need to go like chill for like five minutes before I fully engage. I'm not pushing anybody away. I'm not neglecting anybody. But before I like go all in and go outside and throw the football at the kids or have a conversation in the kitchen or, or do whatever's happening, help with homework, whatever's happening at the time, I just have to like go in our room and shut the door for five to 10 minutes and just breathe for a second. Sometimes I'll just like sit down on the bed and scroll through my phone or finish listening to a podcast or something like that. I just have to like almost just chill for a minute and then I kind of get changed to something more comfortable and then I'm ready to roll all in. Let's go do whatever you want to do. I, I just kind of need that time. So I'm like hardcore expert, get me people, get me out of the house, get me around everybody. And then outside of that, then when I get home, I'm like, hey, give me 10 minutes to chill. No matter what I'm doing, no matter who's over, I just need that for a minute. And then I'm ready to party and ready to go. So those things are are, are just kind of part of my makeup and part of part of my life. And I, and, I, and I like it that way. And my family just functions that way. And, like, we all like it that way. Cool. All right. So I'm going to ask that next question about your home. What does leadership in your home look like? Yeah, we have a really good dynamic in our because, family. Because, frankly, right now with you talking about changing your clothes and all that, I'm just thinking I, I it's Mr. Rogers. Oh, not like that, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, as everybody's screaming. What color shoes do you change into? That's what I want to know. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's uh, What's that? What color shoes do you change into is what I want to know. Oh, man, it's, it's either, you know, my, <laughs> my sneakers, my brown shoes, or my black. That's all that's all we really do. Uh, but, you know, and, and that's, again, we're, we're just your, we really are kind of your, whatever like a regular everyday American family is. That's kind of how we function. I mean, we're just like play Little League Baseball and go to Chick-fil-A on the way and, and, and just kind of be a part of a family. Like we're, we're really not like that extraordinary or, or that unique of a family. Uh, we're just kind of your, just your, your basic, we're part of our local schools here in town. You know, so that's really from, I guess from a pastor's family kind of way, I don't know what the typical pastor's family looks like. I'm guessing it's not really us. I, I think that we just more look like the average church member family, uh, I guess you could say. In terms of leading the home, um, we are kind of the as-you-go discipleship family. Uh, we don't have, like, I see friends tweet about, like, their family worship time and those kind of things. And I think that's really great. But I'm reading that going, what in the world is that? Like, what do they do? Uh, that's not really us. We're more just kind of conversations as we go. We have dinner together, you know, many nights we sit at the table and just talk about what's going on. I, I include my kids on a lot of things. I'll just bring them with me. Uh, my wife and I, you know, try to go out to dinner. We don't have like date night. It's like set aside and scheduled months in advance. It'll be, you know, I'll look at our week and go, Hey, you know, it's a, uh, it's Tuesday and I know I got a lot coming up this week. So I really need to make sure that Christy and I sit down together and get the time together. You know, she's been going full speed. I know she'd like to probably you know, have a kid free kind of event. 
Uh, so I just little things I do, like I take care of like getting babysitters and those kind of things. I, I just take that upon myself. So I'll just randomly tell her, I'll, I'll get home and go, Hey, uh, so-and-so is coming over Friday night and is going to babysit so we can go out. And she'll be like, Oh, awesome. Great. So we just like to go do that. We also just really like being around other couples. We do a lot of things like as a, as with other people, like double dates, you know, just a big group, like whatever, whatever you want to call. We like to do a lot of that. We like to be around people and use our family and use our, our marriage to, to really be engaged with people. And we're not thinking church at the time. We're not even thinking like discipleship. We're just like, let's just be with people and just open our lives to folks. So a, a dynamic for us is almost every Sunday night, a lot of people come over to our house for dinner and they just hang out and there's no agenda. And sometimes the conversation's like really serious or like really get into some stuff. And sometimes there's laughing and just hanging out and that type of thing. And there can be anywhere from six to 15 people on any given Sunday night in our house, probably about 40 Sundays a year, uh, just hanging out and being together. So we think that God gave us our family and gave us our home to like share it with other people and be engaged with other people. And, and I think the idol of family that happens in much of evangelical life has kind of closed us off from really using our family to make an impact. Uh, my, my friend Kevin Eckert likes to say that, that we have, I want to get it right, that how, how I say it, I want to quote him properly. But he says, for far too long, we, th- we have thought the church exists for our family. And he said, what would it look like if we actually believed our families existed for the church? And I don't mean in a burnout way. I don't mean in a, you know, make your pastor's kids hate the church kind of way. Really the exact opposite. I mean, like, it's part of the rhythm of our life. Like, we think that God gave us our family not to, like, hide out every night by ourselves and have, like, dinner and story time and go to bed. But to like really just be engaged with people where people know us and we know them and they know our kids and we know their kids. And I just think that's really important. So I just try to lead our family and lead our house to be in engaged with others and, and to really think it, it's not it's not uncommon for, for one of my kids. Just like they say, what are we doing today? It's not uncommon to say who's coming over tonight because <laughs> you know, they're right. just used to that. It's always been that way. It's not every night of the week. We need. You know, I, I know we need time just to breathe and go to bed early and all those kind of stuff too. And we do do those things, but you know, we, I want to lead my family to be engaged and, and to be present, and to be social, and and to be with people. And, and as as our society seems to get more, I guess, either on the scale from indifferent towards faith all the way to hostile, I think it's all the more important for Christian families to be engaged with other people and just to open their doors up and be a regular part of the world. That's just what we try to do. Nothing fancy. Not amazing family devotionals like we probably should be doing, but just kind of discipleship as we go, having conversations, not being afraid of any topic. You know, I, I've talked to my boys already um, about all the important boy conversations you need to have. Like we talk about that kind of stuff. And also just to really value church and then being involved in the local church and then being part of it and excited about it and creating a church that my kids actually would like to go to. That's an important thing as well. But that's kind of how we function. So... How has opening up your home affected your family and how has it, okay, how has it impacted your family and then how has it impacted others who have, you know, come into your home? Yeah, well, for others, I think access really matters for leaders. I mean, I think that people need to have access to you, like access to you and access to like, not just you like for a question in the hallway, but like to your real life. You won't hear me use the words like personal life very often uh, because we just kind of try to say we have a we have a life and in our life is our spiritual life and our fun life and our personal life. And it's all mixed together as one life. And like here it is world. And, you know, you're, every family knows their limits. They know when they need a break. They know when 
you know, they just need to go to bed early that night or something along those lines. So, so I'm not trying to ask people, we don't do this to have your door open seven days a week. I'm not saying that, but it should be open probably more than it is. And even more than one day a week. So we're saying out of the, out of the seven days of the week, you only have people engaged in your home one day. It's better than nothing, but I think we can do better than that. Uh, so how it's, how it's affected my family is that they really value like hospitality. My, my wife does with the great gift that she has. And for my kids, they never really known any difference, which I love because they've always seen like our family unofficially as also our friends. Like it's not just the five of us, like it extends beyond that. Uh, so right. when they say like, so family time to them doesn't just mean the five of us sitting together at dinner. It also means people who are part of that. So a lot of times when we go out to dinner as a family, we love going out to eat. I'll text somebody, maybe even like a single person or something like that and say, hey, we're going to here. Do you want to go with us? And if they can, they can. They'll join us. You know, so we just try to really just incorporate people as much as we possibly can. And for my kids, I think they've just seen that people really matter. And the things that their dad talks about on Sunday morning about being in the lives of people, that we're actually trying to model it. We're not perfect at it. But this is like part of our lives. We're going to be here. And another neat thing is they get to hear the conversations. Right. Now, sometimes it's a bunch of unbelievers. Sometimes it's a bunch of unbelieving friends in the house or more cultural Christian friends, I should say. And we're just watching football and everybody's just having fun. And they just hear laughing and cheering and debates over who's the better quarterback and that kind of stuff. The answer is always Tom Brady, by the way, just for your listeners. Uh, but um, – <laughs> But the rest of the time, they might hear us in this in-depth conversation about transgenderism all the way to what are you – I liked what you did with the sermon this morning and, and how you work right. like this through Ephesians. I mean they're going to hear all of the spectrum. They're, they listen. I don't shield them from that. They're part of it. So, so I, I just – I like them seeing the real life of our church beyond like Sunday morning. Love it. All right. So I'm going to move into our last question, which is what would you tell your 20-year-old self about preparing to lead? I would tell my 20-year-old self that everyone is not against you. Even though you would not think that out loud and maybe don't even literally think that, it's almost like figuratively a lot of 20-year-old emerging leaders kind of function that way, like chip on their shoulders, something to prove. I'll show you. You know, I, I know how to do this better than you do. I, I think I had a lot of that when I was 20. I, I really do. And, again, it's rarely is it malicious or are you even doing that on purpose. It's just kind of this functional reality you live in. It can help you sometimes, um, I guess, excel or maybe move faster when you're hustling because you still get something to prove. I don't think it brings you very much joy, and it can make you pretty critical and pretty cynical, mm-hmm. which are things I kind of struggle with over, over the years. And the reality I had to realize later was that a lot more people are pulling for you and are for you and are excited about what you're doing and how the Lord's using you than they are critical of what you're doing. But just those voices seem to be the loudest, kind of the negative voices. And, and the other part of that is, is anything they're saying actually true? Like, I, I, I will never, like, let my kids, like, use the word haters or anything like that. Like, if, if our response to, to criticism is, oh, they're just haters, rather than going, hey, like, what are, why are they saying this? I'm just making this up. But, like, what, what about this might actually be true? And as I, I try to do better at that, that's helped me. And it's led to more self-awareness. And um, I, I would also uh, tell, tell myself that if our theology is not leading us to like love the lost and to be about like building churches that reach our communities, then really we might as well just take in physics or take in, you know, some kind of, you know, high level science or math in college because really it's just information. And, and that's not 
what God signed us up for. I had a pastor when I was about 26, which is when I just started the church. He told me, he goes, you know, he goes, uh, you got a lot going for you. And I think you're going to be really effective once you get seminary out of your system. And I said, what in the world does that mean? And by that, he didn't mean like the important things of seminary, like being trained, being equipped and those type of things. He meant that, you know, when you're preaching a sermon, like your seminary professor, unless you like live a block from a seminary, your seminary professor is not in your congregation. Quit preaching to impressive. Quit preaching to quit preaching like he is in the, in the sanctuary, in the auditorium or wherever it might be. Also, every controversy you don't need to engage in. You know, like everything that's out there does not need to be a thing that you take on because oftentimes really going to be kind of stepping out of your lane. So maybe I'd have told my 20-year-old self, hey, learn how to stay in your lane a little more and be aware of what that is and what it is not. And those are some things I, I definitely would have told myself early on. The main thing is nobody, people aren't against you. Like you really, like it's, and I didn't talk about identity. It's easy to talk about all that kind of stuff. It's almost Christian cliche now to say your identity is not in other people's approval. That's not what I'm talking about. I think it's more just that chip on your shoulder of like me versus the world. And the reality is, no, it's not. It's not you versus the world. In fact, no one in the world even knows who you are. So <laughs> relax a little bit and, 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 go, and just go join life where, you know, where it's happening with people and be a part of a church and meet it well. That's, that's what I would say. Good deal. Well, Dean, thank you so much for your time today, for uh, our con- con- uh, conversation. I know that... Um, I've greatly appreciated it, and I know our listeners have as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really, I really enjoyed it. But thanks so much for, for asking me those questions. I know those need to think through, and hope it's helpful for those who are out there listening.